Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. So hi and welcome to our second episode of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. I'm delighted to say my guest today is Nicole Farmer. Nicole is the UK and Ireland General Manager for Sanofi Genzyme. She spent over 30 years in the pharmaceutical industry and she's passionate about the purpose of the industry and she's been particularly focused in the area of speciality care. After graduating with a biochemistry degree, she started life as a sales rep. She went on to study for an MBA and moved quickly into more senior and commercial roles. She became the first woman and the youngest board director of Shearing Healthcare and today leads a team of over 200 at Sanofi. I've worked with Nicole for about 10 years and I admire her on many levels, not only as a leading business exec, but we both share a passion for endurance sports and adventure racing. She's a mum and in what very little spare time she must have, she's a volunteer at the local Samaritans, often doing evening and night shifts coupled with her day job. She's an unbridled energy for life which is infectious. So Nicole, a very warm welcome. How are you today? I'm, I'm good, Phil. Thank you. And yeah, really chuffed um, that you asked me to do this. So thank you. Uh, I, so it's called Leadership Confessions. I, I'm hoping we can get a story or two out of you. I know you like to tell stories. Uh, but before we get into some of your stories, let's just uh, understand when you think of sort of great leaders, which leaders do you admire and, and why would that be? Yeah. And, do you know, I I consider myself so lucky at the moment because the the boss that I admire most right now um, is the one that I have. Uh, but that I then thought about it and thought that's really not very informative, is it? Because most people won't be able to relate to, to that because they're not going to know who she is. Um, but I can tell you why I admire her. Um, I think she really role models the behaviours that we all know make great leaders. I see her stretching herself outside of her comfort zone. She she recently moved from our consumer health division into speciality pharma. Um, so although the same company, a whole different way of working. And if I'm honest, we do have a tendency to be a bit of what I'd call science snobs. So seeing someone make that transition in such a great way, I find really inspiring. Secondly, I think she really leads with the how. Uh, she makes me feel cared for, valued as a person and for what I bring to the business. Um, but she also has a very clear expectation that I've got room for development, don't we all? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and she'll invest in my development as well. So that's, it, you know, when I, and I ask that question to a number mm. of people, they don't often think uh, and refer to their immediate boss, which you are today. So mm. how does that make you feel? privileged um she is she's like a breath of fresh air and she's one of those people that i i look for opportunities for her to interact with the wider team um because i think she she really sets us on a new path and it's an exciting path yeah i just consider myself and the whole team incredibly lucky so what impacts that had on you well, so that's a really good question actually and I, I was thinking about that this morning um, when i was talking to someone the impact it has is 
it really she really taps into what I call that discretionary effort. Um, you know, so you yeah, talked about yeah. the fact that I like endurance running. I did a long run on Saturday and I use a lot of that time to be thinking, okay, so she's asked for this. What more? What more could I do? What more could I do to set her up for success? Um, you know, I really want her to be successful as she will be successful. Um, but I think particularly to really challenge that view that you need a science background, you need to have worked in speciality medicine, you need to know the therapy areas to succeed. And she's turning that completely on its head. Mm, excellent. Good, good for you. So let's, let's talk more about you then, Nicole. How, how would you describe your leadership style? <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, the most common feedback I get from other people is they find me very authentic, challenging and supportive. Um, that seems to be the most consistent view. I, I do have a very clear defining moment when I think about my leadership roles. You know, I, I was happy leading teams because it enabled me to have a greater influence on our business and our patients. But for quite some time, if I'm honest, I didn't really get the importance of a leader in developing potential. Right. So quite a few years ago now, I was in a company that was acquired by Bayer. The acquisition was, was handled really well. They did a, a cracking job. But there was still quite a bit of them and us going on. Um, so I saw an advert for a women's only super sprint triathlon. So I'm not generally a fan, Phil, as you know, of women only <laughs> events. Um, but I decided to pull together a group of women with the idea it would help them bring them together with a shared purpose. I was fortunate enough that a very good friend of mine, who's an amazing triathlete, she came along, she provided guidance and tips. And, you know, the team varied hugely in size. I think we went from a size six up to a size 22. When I think about my leadership, that my defining moment was absolutely watching all of them cross that finish line and achieve something that they never imagined they could. It gave me so much joy and really showed to me that if you give people the right support and encouragement, we can all lose our self-imposed limitations and step far more into our power and our capabilities. So that's really what I hold on to um, very much now as I lead teams. So I, I, know, I see that as a personal example. So that's something outside of your you know, your day job. But is that something now then you look to replicate in, in the professional environment? Yeah, it's um, and I think this is why some people can find my style quite challenging, because it is very much around. We've all got so much to give. How do you come out of what's comfortable, lose those limitations and give more to our business because our patients deserve it? You know, how can we stretch ourselves beyond our sort of well-trodden ways of working and, and achieve phenomenal things? Because at the end of it, the, the, more, the more we achieve as a business, the more patients lead better lives. I can't imagine everyone in the team loves doing sports or uh, you know other such you know crazy activities that you get involved with. So how do you look to 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 motivate them? Uh, so this is I think it's fair to say this is an area of development for me. Um, so I I have a coach <laughs> at the moment, and actually I'm really 
beginning to explore all the different ways that people are motivated. Um, because it would appear that not everyone is motivated by the thought of crossing a finishing line um, or, or being up all night doing some ridiculous event. So I think for me is around really tapping into understanding my people and how different they are uh, and meeting them where, where they are and taking more time to really understand what the barriers are for them coming out of that comfort zone. And often it's around security. So one of my big aha moments a few years ago was really, it was a book I read by Brené Brown, who I love, um, called Care to Dare. And the more people feel cared for, the more willing they are to dare themselves to do things differently. So, Nicole, you talked about the fact that you've got a coach at the moment and you're talking about your own development. What would you say has been your biggest challenge as a leader? Oh, biggest challenge. Um, I think, I mean, the obvious answer on everyone's mind is leading through the pandemic. Uh, but I'm guessing that you, that's going to be quite a common answer. So I'm going to give you another one. <laughs> um, and it relates back to my first answer, actually. So I, I talked about having an aspirational boss right now. My biggest challenge as a leader uh, is working for a boss who I don't respect, whose style I fundamentally believe is wrong. Um, and it, it's a huge, huge challenge because I always want to be professional and to be aligned and supportive. Luckily, it's only happened three times in over 30 years, so that's not bad. Um, and I'm guessing you're, you're probably thinking, um, what did you do about well, it? Well, I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure everyone <laughs> listening is thinking that. Because you know, you, and 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 you know, you won't be alone in that. There'll be a lot of other people that are working for someone that they mo most probably don't respect or haven't enjoyed working for. So, what? Yeah, what did you do? Yeah, I I did my best. I <laughs> I, I sought to discuss it with them, uh, with varying degrees of success. I have to be honest. Um, I also sought feedback from others really to identify whether the issue was was just a personality clash and was specific to me or whether whether it was all about them um but in serious all seriousness two of them i actually resigned i i tried all those things i wasn't making progress um and i moved on um and then for the one that was the most recent uh, luckily they were moved on but I right. would have, I, I had given myself 12 months to resolve the situation and then I'd have gone. So I think absolutely, I think working for a leader who doesn't inspire you, um, yeah, for me, that's, that's the thing I find most challenging. I, I guess, which then just comes down to the importance of, you know, outstanding leadership, because uh, that, will, that will attract and retain the best people. Absolutely, yeah. We've deliberately called this podcast Leadership Confessions. It would be great to hear what you consider to be some of your mistakes or even one of your, you know, your biggest mistakes as a leader. And, and what have you learned from those? Yeah, I, and I, I have made quite a few over the years. <laughs> um, and actually, at our September conference, uh, I was saying to everyone there, I said, I think, you know, we're so great, aren't we, at sharing best practice. Um, but I think, I don't think of them as mistakes. I think of them as learning opportunities and, and they are so rich. And I know Scott on your last podcast was making the same point. That is absolutely where the real rich learning lies. Um, so I've had lots of these learning opportunities. Um, <laughs> I think 
Some of them are, are sort of technical, um, just genuine mistakes I've made. Um, some of them have been more behavioral. I think the most important one is in doubting myself and not trusting my judgment. Um, it's, you know, that's definitely got easier to avoid as I've become older, wiser, more senior. I'm not really sure what the driving force is. So now I think it's important that I find the balance between trusting my judgment, but not assuming I know all the answers and actively seeking out different views. Um, but when I left Bayer, I'd been with Bayer 26 years. So when I left and went to a very different company, culturally very different, um, I I spent probably nine months questioning my judgment um, because it my perspective seems so out of line to what what the where the company was heading. Um, with hindsight, I sh I should have just cracked on um, and trusted my own judgment. But I think it was all such a change to me. It took me a while to regain my confidence in my new environment. If I'm honest. Mm -hmm. And, and what impact did that have on the people that you were leading at the time, do you think? That's, that's a very good question. I think it means I wasn't communicating as authentically as I would normally do because I was questioning myself. So I think probably subconsciously I wasn't... I wasn't as confident about the direction of the business because if I'm honest, I didn't agree with some of the things. So um, I guess I lost a lot of my natural impact that I would have when I'm communicating in my in my sort of true authentic style. Yeah, okay. I guess, so I guess it was, you're, you're trying to communicate some messages that you didn't fully believe in. Was that, yeah? Was that, yeah? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to switch tack a bit in terms of understanding uh, what what really gets you frustrated. You know, what causes that red mist to come down for you? You know, what buttons have people pressed to make that happen? And 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 how does that you know emanate itself? How does that show itself to 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 people and teams that you lead, or colleagues, <laughs> frankly, and peers? Yeah. So. How it shows itself, I'll start with the last question first. <laughs> um, apparently, I do get a twitch in my neck, um, which I wasn't aware of. So there's a physical cue. <laughs> yes. And I, I know I slow down my rate of talking because usually I'm fighting really hard to remain professional um, and to control my emotions. So we're talking here about things that have really hacked me off. Um, so there will be an emotional response. And I, I do try incredibly hard to manage that because I think it is really important that you do remain professional. I, you know, I, I hear of companies where people shout at each other. No, in my mind, completely unacceptable. Yeah, um, so yeah. I have sometimes I've had to stop meetings and say, right, I need to come back to this in a couple of days. I can't discuss it rationally right now. Um, and the, the sorts of things that will elicit such a response, they are rare, but they all revolve around um, fairness and integrity. 
Okay. So a really good example. I was I was working for a company. We acquired another company, um, and it was all about oh we're all one team now, uh, we're all pulling together. That's great, but going on in the background was well we're going to keep them on their own terms and conditions. Now I'd seen their terms and conditions, and they weren't as good as ours. So my point was well we're all one team treat everybody as one team and treat them fairly yeah. um, and, and when i look to company values often they have things about fairness and integrity and my point was oh so we want that as a value as long as it comes free of charge um, because there was a cost to moving these employees so you know rather than change the whole world i i've realized in life if you call things pilot programs you're far more likely to get them pushed through so <laughs> i said let's use the uk as a pilot and understand the implications of moving these people um so those are the sorts of things where i will become yeah not always at my best and i need to get rid of the emotion come back to it and then find a more constructive way forward but invariably it's it's because what of what i would see as an injustice around people and i guess a contravening of your values there and you mentioned two which was fairness and integrity mm. have you have you got a you know a, a, a shopping list of, of values that are important to you or is it a short succinct list well, I think it's quite short. I, you know, I, I'm very clear. You know, the one, the one thing we're all certain of, we're only here for a limited amount of time on this earth. I do believe we have all gifts that we are given. You know, my, my personal um, feeling is that's my gift from God. Everybody has their own view on that. Um, so I have a very clear view that it's my responsibility to use those gifts wisely. Um, so continuing to develop myself um, and continuing to enhance the lives of other people, whether they're people in my team, our company, our patients or people in the wider community. Uh, every day I want to know I've made a difference to someone. Well, that, that sounds really truly inspiring nicole so uh, on that theme what advice would you share for aspiring leaders in in your organization and and also in other industry sectors yeah and you know in the pharmaceutical industry especially in speciality care our purpose is so visible and given and we're reminded of it almost every day um, and that is you know, helping people lead better lives because of the medicine. I think for some industries that might be more difficult um, to see and probably requires more thought. So I think the, the one piece of advice for any aspiring leader, whatever industries, find your purpose. You know, find that thing that when you wake up in the morning, you just think, yes, yes, another day, another day to get me closer to my purpose. Um, you have to find that. And then importantly, as a leader, you then need to find a way of communicating that in a compelling way to bring people with you. Because we're never, you know, we're never going to achieve great things if it's just a job, if it's just about paying the mortgage, just about your next holiday. Although obviously no one's going anywhere at the moment, so that's okay. Um, you know, it's the, the purpose and tapping into people's discretionary effort. I think that that's the one thing. If you think about nothing else in your leadership journey, think about that. And it, it sounds an easy, you know, it's an easy word to use around purpose. 
I know personally, you know, I, I worked for 10 years before I really found like I had my purpose. And it was, you know, what I refer to as my Jerry Maguire moment. I, you know, woke up in the middle of the night and scribbled an essay around who I wanted to be and what I wanted to become. And it wasn't what I was doing at that moment in time. Now, that, that felt like a, a defining moment for me. I'm just, you know, how have you, how have you arrived at yours? And, and, and I guess if people are listening to this and going, well, I don't know what my purpose is. How do I find it? What advice would you give to them? Yeah. And, you know, although I've been in the industry all my life, I, I can't tell you hand on heart that at 21, I thought, oh, I want to help people yeah. lead better lives. Yeah. It was more, oh, my goodness, they give you a company car yeah. and they give you <laughs> £4.50 lunch allowance every day. <laughs> How cool is that? Um, so, you know, I fell into the pharmaceutical industry Um Loved it, obviously. Um, but the, the purpose thing for me, I think, really, really came into my heart when I was looking after an oncology division and we were trying to negotiate with NICE to get a drug out to patients who had terminal liver cancer. And NICE said no. Um, and I then worked with a whole team of people, with the global team and with a cancer drug fund. And as a result, we knew that there were 600 people the following year who lived longer lives because of what we'd done. That was, for me, that was my, my aha, thinking, oh my goodness, this, we really do make a difference. I knew it, I knew it in sort of more nebulous terms, but actually, seeing that product going out, knowing it gave people maybe two or three months extra life, there was nothing else for them. And knowing because of the negotiations we had managed to work our way through, that that was that sense of purpose. So I think it, in answer to your question, if people are struggling to know what their sense of purpose is, is have a look back and think in your life, what mm. are those things that give mm. you that amazing feeling and it doesn't have to be life-changing you know I'm part of uh, Reading Kindness Rocks and I paint stones makes me sound like a complete weirdo I think but I paint <laughs> stones and I leave them in the countryside or sometimes I take them into the office and leave them for people to find just to make someone smile so yeah. You know, it does. It's not about keeping people alive. It's not necessarily about keeping people out of wheelchairs. If you just make someone smile in a day, that can be a, an incredibly important purpose. My, my sense is your purpose for you per, uh, personally transcends both your personal and professional life. Am I right in that assumption? Yeah, it it covers everything. Everything I do. Um, well, probably apart from my sport, which is very, I think it's quite a selfish act because I'll go out for hours all by myself. Then I make myself feel better by thinking, oh, but I spend a lot of time thinking about things I can do for other people. Um, but yes, obviously my, my voluntary work, my rock painting and my paid work um, is all about people. I, I would like to, to then move on to your voluntary work. You know, just please share with us your role at the Samaritans, uh, you know, what it entails, and I guess why do you do that? All right. So, you know, one of the things I think is, is brilliant about Samaritans is they are, I think, the only 
organisation, apart from our emergency services, that is genuinely 24 hours a day. They are not there to judge. They're not there to give advice. They're just there to listen and and to be with people when they're in a very dark place. You know, my mother became a volunteer when I was five. So it's an organisation I was very aware of. And she shared with me why Samaritans was, was set up. I think it was in the 1960s by Chad Vara. So when I was 21, I became a volunteer because, you know, Phil, I've had an amazing life. I've had a brilliant parents, an amazing education. But when I was 21, I hadn't really had any difficult situations. So the, for me, the thought of someone going through a tough time and having no one to talk to was something I, I just thought that would be awful because I've always had my mum, my dad and my brother to turn to. So that's why I became a volunteer at 21. I gave up when I was 30, when I had my son um, and life was, was challenging for me directly then. And I, so I didn't have anything to give anyone else at that point in time. But I then went back to, and then joined Reading Samaritans when Josh got to 16. And then I've, I've been there as a listening volunteer ever since. So that's seven years now. We've done some long days sort of working together. Uh, and I know then sometimes later in that, day, evening, night, you've been on the phone. How, how do you find the time and the energy to do that where other people are, are looking to curl up and go to bed and get some sleep? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those night shifts, I think of them as actually morning shifts because I start usually half two or half four in the morning. Wow. Uh, so I do go to bed ridiculously early. I, I, go, I head off to bed about half past seven. I'm in bed by eight. Not that I've got a big house and it takes me half an hour to get to my bedroom. <laughs> it's just, you know, by the time I've faffed about and done my yoga and what have you. But it it comes back to the fact, you know, none of us know how long we're going to be here for. Um, you know, I don't want to be knocking on the gates of heaven going, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't do all these things that you gave, gave me the gifts to do because uh, yeah, I was asleep. Um, so for me, <laughs> it's really pour your energy in. And having said that, I do prioritize my sleep. I eat well. Um, I am mindful about how much I drink because I find that just makes me sleepy. It's about keeping your energy levels up so that you yep. can give more to other people. Okay. And, and then you just find the time to get your sleep in, in other other parts of the day, it sounds like. Yeah, and I'm not hugely sociable, if I'm honest. Although I really like people, um, I don't <laughs> spend a lot of time chatting or socialising. You know, my socialising is very much involved in cross-country running. If you want to socialise, come out for a run with me. <laughs> so let's let's move on to the endurance challenges. You know, some people think I'm nuts in, in doing some of the things that I do. I think you're nuts in doing what you're doing. So what what what's the driver for doing some of those things? And I like to think schools don't do this anymore. But when I was at school, the weekly netball team selection humiliation process. <laughs> so I was, I was, you know, the, the captains would be chosen and they were always what I saw as the pretty sporty girls who were usually clever as well. Um, and I was one of the last three to be chosen inevitably every week. And I used to sit there, I could feel my face going more and more red, thinking, please choose me ahead of Julie. Um, <laughs> and so for years I had in my head, I'm just not sporty. And 
Then I started doing judo when I went to university and I, I wasn't bad at it. And then when Bea bought shearing in my over-enthusiasm to impress my new boss, he said, oh, let's do Newbury Triathlon. And I said, oh, yeah, of course. And I left his office thinking, shit, I can't do freestyle. I don't have a road bike. <laughs> I can't. I, I've not even thought about couch to 5K, um, but I trained and I did it. And I loved it. And I think for me, um, when I talk about people coming out of their comfort zones and I talk about people losing self-imposed limitations, it's so critical that I role model that. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. just want to be someone who spouts off a load of stuff that she's read. I want to be someone who lives it. So every year I set myself a new challenge that I there is genuinely a high chance of not achieving it. Um, to just keep pushing myself, because I will say, you know, very few of us ever reach our full potential. And I'm loving seeing what my body's capable of, what my mind is capable of, far more than I ever imagined it had inside it. So what would you say has been your uh, best favourite challenge you've done to date and what are you training for at the moment? Ooh, um, I think my first Ironman was... Your was first Ironman. Was, <laughs> it was, it was makes it sound like I've done loads. I've done two. Um, right. So, yeah. So the first one was better than the second one. Uh, I really liked that because I can remember someone years ago saying, have you thought of doing an Ironman? And I genuinely said, oh, don't be so ridiculous and just discounted it. Um, so then to, to revisit it a few years later and achieve it, that was amazing. Um, I think in terms of... That was really hard in terms of the amount of training. I think in terms of the actual duration of event was was running from London to Brighton last year. Running um, from London to Brighton. Well, yeah, I didn't run all the way. And I spent a ridiculous amount of time in the aid stations. Um, so much so that when I finished at like two in the morning, they said, oh, here's your meal ticket. And I said, oh, gee, I'm stuffed. I said, I can't, <laughs> I can't eat another thing. Because of going to bed so early, so, you know, my bedtime had been like I was six hours into my normal bedtime um, and running in the dark and on your own. And then and I get quite emotional when I'm doing long distance events. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So Andy, my partner, appeared over the brow of the South Downs and I just, yeah, there was lots of tears. Not from him, from, obviously, <laughs> from, from me. And I said, that's it. I'm not doing more than 100K. Um, so, yeah. So for 2021, I'm I'm thinking of doing the, the 100 miles around um, Goring. So I've okay, entered my, yes. uh, yeah, I've got to do a qualifying event. So I've entered the qualifying event in April. Um, and if I get that done, I'll then do the 100 miles in October. Oh, superb. I'll bring some jelly babies out to cheer you on. Um, yeah. pro professionally or personally, how do you overcome your biggest setbacks? Very good question. Um, so I think my biggest setback or my most difficult time, you know, I mentioned when, when Josh was born, I gave up Samaritans. So my first marriage was abusive. Um, my husband, he, I mean, he went to prison in the end, but I spent two years not sharing it with anyone, what was going on at home. Um, and I think for me, the huge lesson I learned from that, and I think it absolutely applies professionally as well, is when life is difficult, 
get help talk to people Mm -hmm. Um, you're not alone people want to support you even if they've not said anything they've usually clocked that something's not quite right Um, so I think you know I think the days of leadership where you've got to be seen to be invincible those days have gone you know leaders as well need to be they'll have challenging times you know this year has been horrendous for so many people Mm -hmm. so I think yeah asking for help and being prepared to to show that life isn't always perfect. Nicole, thank you for sharing that. What about the the future? What does that hold for you? Oh, it depends how far ahead you're looking. Uh, longer term, I'm definitely thinking about retirement just because there's so many things I want to do in life. And right now, oh, you talked about, you know, where do I find the time? I don't have any extra time to do all these extra things that I want. So I'm loving my role at the moment. Um, I do feel I'm in the right place at the right time with Sanofi Genzyme UK and Ireland. We've got a new global chief exec last year. He's amazing as well. Um, so I'm really enjoying where he's taking Sanofi and I, I want to be part of that for the next few years. Um, but I would like to contribute more to Samaritans. At the moment, I'm a listening volunteer and I mentor new volunteers. Um, but eventually I would like to be considered to be um, the branch director for Reading. Right. And yeah, I want to revisit beekeeping as well because I tried it. Yeah, I tried it a few years ago, and it it yeah, it didn't end well. Um, so <laughs> I kind of feel like there's a whole other story there, uh, which I'm not sure that we've got the time for. Um, yeah. That sounds brilliant. Um, uh, so, quick, quick fire questions to finish on. Okay, uh, Nicole. Uh, guilty pleasures. What are they? Chocolate. <laughs> it's just one. Well, just whiskey, choc- whiskey, chocolate Whis- and whiskey together. Ch- chocolate and whiskey together. Okay. What makes you smile? Autumn. And what is it about autumn? I love the colours. Just yeah. And I love the rust. I still like kicking the leaves when I'm going running. It makes me smile. Good for you. And then what have you learned about yourself in lockdown? Ooh, uh, what have I learned about myself? Um, I can be quite challenging to live with. <laughs> it would appear. <laughs> Has that been feedback? Has it? Yeah, that's that's feedback. <laughs> uh, uh, look, Nicole, that's been a really inspiring, uh, revealing, vulnerable interview. Thank you. You are a wonderful person in everything that you do, and uh, and you've brought that brilliantly over on this podcast. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Phil. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.